Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. You are now live with the Word on Wednesday. And I know some of you thought, where is the Word on Wednesday? Where is the Word on Wednesday? Because yours truly took a vacation, and I enjoyed it. As a matter of fact, I enjoyed it so much that I had a hard time getting back in the studio. But then I thought about it, and I said, you know what you called on this earth to do but one thing, and that is preach and teach the Word of God. So you better get back to it, because I was having so much fun out in the garage building furniture and going down to football games and partying with family and friend and all, friends and all that stuff. So, you know, but now I'm back, and I'm going to tell you that I couldn't be happier because this is where I belong. But anyway, uh, we're going to start a new series tonight. Uh, over the summer, we did topical series. Now we're back to book studies. And the book that we're going to um, study is First Kings. And it's an Old Testament book. And I know that sometimes when we talk about going into the Old Testament that people get intimidated because it, it, it can be or it seems to be rather complicated. But that's why we need a guide. And the guide that we're going to have is the Holy Spirit because the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. So what I want you to do is I want you to do a couple of things. Number one, I need you to get your Bibles so you can read along with me. Two, I need you to get a piece of paper or an index card or something because in going through kings, what we'll visit is a number of different kings. And to, to make sure that we keep things sorted out and you can see the progressions and as well as who's who and you don't get confused, um, I, I want us to, every time we change kings, that we write it down. And one of the, another thing that you'll see is you're dealing with kings of Israel and kings of Judah. And so... Sometimes we get them all mismatched and all that kind of stuff, and we're like, oh, well, I thought that they were in captivity. No, they're not in captivity. Judah's not in captivity. Israel's in captivity. Well, if they, it, and, you know, no, no, we're going to, if we, if we write some things down, we can keep some things in order, and I think you'll really see a picture that God is painting. The other thing I want you to see, uh, that we'll see, is we're going to see the character of God. We're going to see the character of God throughout our study of First Kings. And I think that that's really important that you see God's hand at work and God displaying himself, not just in his majesty, but a lot of the things that God requires from us, a, a lot of things that prove that we are really children of the king are displayed in 1 Kings, the character of God. The other thing that you're going to see in 1 Kings is you're going to see that God is a God of his word, that when he says something, he means it, and good, bad, or indifferent, what he says will come to pass. And it's so important that, that I, I open up this study by saying these things because all of these characteristics, and I'll point them out. I'll point each one of them out as we go along. But 
All of the characteristics of God are on display in 1 Kings. And finally, don't look at this as a history lesson because the word of God is alive and powerful. And what you're going to see is not a dead word, not a word that was just for the past or something that happened way back then, but instead what you're going to see is a word that is applicable to our life situations today, in general and in particular. And because the Holy Spirit is leading us, one of the things that you're going to find out is that this word is going to speak to you. It is going to speak to you, the individual. And so, with that said, let's have a word of prayer. And then what we want to do is we want to start right in on 1 Kings. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. God, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. Father, once again, we are getting ready to go on a journey with you. Help us to be faithful. Help us to study. Help us to hear your word. Please minister to us collectively and individually. God, your word is so sweet and so true. And we bless you for it. Now lead us and guide us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, let's take a look at 1 Kings. And as I turn over to it, now, you see this little index card? This is what I'm going to use. I'm going to use this index card to trace the kings. So, And that's, that's kind of what I'm asking you guys to do. Get an index card, get a piece of paper, something, because these kings are going to come at us hot and fast. And, and all it's going to do is it's going to help you. It's really going to help you to understand what's going on in this book. And I mean, this is one, to me, this book is action-packed, it is powerful, it's one that I love reading, it's one that I love studying. So, let's start out at 1 Kings, and we're going to start at the beginning, chapter 1. One of the things that, that, that you need to understand is that we're in a time where Israel is powerful in, that, in the region that they're in. Remember, David now has subdued all of his enemies. Many of them are paying tribute to him. The land is at rest, but and the kingdom is united. The kingdom is united, but there's an undercurrent. There's a constant undercurrent amongst the tribes. Because remember, now Saul came from Benjamin, and when Saul, um, when, when David comes on the scene and takes over, Saul's people aren't too happy about it because they think that, that, that the king should have came from the tribe of Benjamin, and David is not from the tribe of Benjamin. Secondly, um, there's always some internal squabbles in any family, and there are some internal squabbles within Israel. And all of these things are going on because, you know, you got, there's a lot of things that happened in First and Second Samuel that we seem to forget about. You know, there's Joab who goes out and he kills Abner, and then he kills Amasa. Uh, those tribes are bitter about that. There's 
still, they, they remember those things. Um, there's a lot of palace intrigue going on. So you got all of these things happening in Kings, and so this book does not happen in a vacuum. More, more than that, outside of Israel, there's some things going on. There's some nations that are becoming more and more powerful. And then there are other nations who are in their decline. The nation that's getting more powerful is to the north. It's, it's, it's going to be the Assyrians. And the nation that is in decline at that time was once the world power, Egypt. So all of this is happening around David. And on top of that, there's a couple of things that there's a couple of things that David still has to deal with. Because David's got a promise. But David, there's also a curse on his family. There's a promise that God made to David, and there's a curse. Let's let's let, before we go to First Kings, let's look at let's look at this this promise that um that God gave to David in Second uh, Samuel chapter seven. Let's look at that first first real quick. He says, Second Samuel chapter seven, and I'm gonna start at verse four. And what I want you to do later on, because I'm on a time I'm on the timeline, and so I got I got on a time. But what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to read Second Samuel chapter seven after after we're done. But I'm gonna start reading at verse four. It says. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded, to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus said the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the names of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now, this chapter was when David wanted to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord says, no, you ain't the one to do that. Okay? When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. 
In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So here, God promised that the throne would never depart from the lineage of David. And David's going to travel with that promise, and that promise is going to culminate in the coming of Jesus. That's one. Now, that's, the, that's one of the promises. Now, the other promise that he gives them is over in 2 Samuel chapter 4. And this is in the aftermath of David's sin with Bathsheba. And I'm just, I'm, I'll start reading it again. This is another one that you really have to read. This is um, 2 Samuel chapter 12, excuse me. And read chapter 12 so you can get the full effect of this. And it's important. We're laying a foundation because you're going, in First Kings, you're going to see these things happen. It says, I'm going to start reading verse 7. Nathan said to David, and this is Second Samuel chapter, chapter 12, verse 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes, and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. So, God's punishment to David, God's promise to David in this in chapter 12 is that the sword will never leave his house, that uh, the same thing you did to Uriah is going to be done to you. You did it in secret. It's going to be done to you openly. And what if you Keep reading in chapter two, uh, in in second in Second Samuel. One of the things that you'll see is that it began Amnon and Tamar. Uh, Absalom kills Amnon. Then Absalom dies. There is constant fighting in David's house because and because David opened the door to this sin. And the sin doesn't stop at David's death, but instead it continues, just like the throne continues. The fighting in, within the house of David continues because of
10. And one of the things that we can learn is this, is that when God says something, he means it. He's going, he promises us. He, he makes a promise to us. And when God makes a promise, his word is sure. And when we sin, even though God forgives us, the consequences often follow us throughout the rest of our days. And in some instances, that same devil that got us to sin will get our children to commit the same sin. Something we ought to think about. Now we're ready for First Kings. So now turn over. Now that we've kind of got a foundation, we're going to we'll, we'll go right into First Kings. Okay. Now, First Kings chapter one, verse one. Now King David was old and advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore, his servant said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms, that my lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and they found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful, and she was of service to the king and attended to him. But the king knew her not. Now, what we see here is David advanced in years, and he is deteriorating. And when you get to a certain age, especially back in those times, you begin to experience circulation problems. And the problem that David is giving here, having here is literally his veins are shutting down on him. His circulation is bad. He could have problems with his heart, uh, not having the ability to pump the blood like he, like he used to. And so David is walking around there cold all the time. And so they say, maybe... Just maybe we can get, um, uh, we can revive the king by getting a young woman to help keep him warm. The other thing that, 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 that is hinted here, and we can't prove it, is they might have been saying, you know, we know how to get this old rascal to really get to running again. Get him a pretty young thing. And that'll get his blood running hot because David had a reputation with the women. As a matter of fact, David loved the girls. We can see it by the number of marriages that he had. We can see it by the thing that the devil used to entice him to get him to sin, namely, beautiful Bathsheba. But none of this works. It didn't happen. David, as I say, they put that pretty young girl in there with David, and David didn't do nothing with her. And it didn't. It not only didn't revive him, it didn't get revive his virility, but he was still cold. So what happens? Now Adonijah, verse five. Now Adonijah, the son of Agit, exalted himself, saying, "I will be king," and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, 
and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaniah, the son of Jehodiah, and Nathan, the prophet, and Shimei, and Ray, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fatted cattle by the serpent stone, which is beside in Rogel, and he invited all his brothers, the king's son, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaniah, or the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. So, here we have Adonijah. And Adonijah sees the situation. He is the oldest and he is in line for the throne. And rather than wait for his anointing and wait for his appointing to be king, he usurps the authority of David and he says, I'm going to be king. And so what does he do? He he prepares himself to ascend to the throne by making political alliances within the kingdom to secure that spot for himself, even though his father is yet alive and there have been no indications that he is the one to come to the throne. Now, if we... Again, here's a boy that's steeped in the ways of the world. Because if you think about it, there has been no king sat on the throne up until that time, up until this time, who has ever asked for or looked for or tried to take the job. Saul, God had to go find Saul and anoint Saul. God chose Saul to be the first king over Egypt. God likewise did the same thing for David. David wasn't thinking about being a king. As a matter of fact, not only was David not thinking about being a king, nobody other than God was thinking about David being the king. Remember what happened, how David came about getting the anointing, how He's out in the field taking care of the sheep. His brothers passed before, and finally Samuel had, said, you're all out of sons? This is Because the oil wouldn't flow until they went and got David. And David was the one that was chosen by God. My point is this, that all kings are chosen by the Lord. You know, and, and this is something that, that we should understand now. Everybody in the kingdom, not just the pastor, not just the evangelist, not just uh, 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 the deacons, everyone in God's kingdom has been chosen by God for the position that they are in. And it's not so much the position, but the function. And this boy ain't qualified to be no king. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say to you that David, it was David that set this boy up to fail. How, what do you mean? Well, we did a series 
over the, uh, one of one of our topical series was about raising kids. Okay, it was called Dim, Dim Kids. We did that this summer, and one of the things that we found out the responsibility of a parent is to create an environment so the child can receive life, and the child can receive the breath or the anointing of God to fulfill his purpose. And David did not do that with his children. First one, case in point, Anna. Second point, Absalom. Now we see here again, here again, here is Adonijah. What does it say about him? His father, verse 6, his father had never at any time displeased him by asking why have you done thus and so? Here was a boy who was without discipline. He had never been trained. He had never been disciplined. He was, he, as I said, he was allowed to do whatever he wanted to do, and nobody put him in check. And the result is going to be this boy is not prepared to serve the purpose that he was in line for. Now, I want you to think about your children, and I want you to think about your childhood. How many times have you really went and disciplined and trained your children, forced them, questioned them, and said, why are you doing this? This is not the right way to do it. The right way to do it is this. Let's do it this way. How often do we do that, or how often do we uh, in this society now, how often do we jump and defend our children when they're doing wrong? I'm going to say to you tonight that if that's what you're doing, if you're not training your children, training being creating an environment where they can receive the breath of God, if you are not creating an environment where they can learn to live, if you're not creating an environment where they can learn and receive their anointing for purpose, then you are doing your child a disservice just like David did to Adonijah, and you are setting your child up to fail because that's what Adonijah did. I mean, that's what David did with Adonijah. And so Adonijah thinks he's smart. Now, one of the qualifications for the king is that not that he be politically savvy, but instead that he know and operate the word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the things that he's supposed to do. That he is the king. If you're going to be a leader of God's people, then you have to be not only you you have to be connected to God's word. And if you're not connected to God's word, if you're not under God's anointing, if you're not God's chosen one, then you've got no business in that position. What, do we, what, what does that mean to us today? We've got a lot of pastors. We've got a lot of people in positions in church who don't belong there. One of the things that we've done in, in our churches is that we've selected people based upon their talents. And I'm sorry, a, a person with talent will not cut it before the Lord. It's not going to happen. No. You have to 
in order to function within the household of faith as God would have us, you have to have his word and you have to have his spirit. I heard I've heard people I've heard preachers come up and say, you know, that person doesn't have my spirit and so and I don't know, unless you got unless you're talking about the spirit of God and you got the spirit of God, then no man, don't. Go away from me with that. Because I'm not supposed to have the spirit of man to operate under the anointing of God. I need the spirit of God to do that. That's something that we have to get to a point that we understand. Because we've got a lot of people in operating in the house of God right now who are not anointed by God, have not been appointed by God, but instead are anointed and appointed by people. we got a lot of Adonijahs out there who have set themselves up and have taken over, have impressed the people. Because look at the people that he gets around him. Zadok the priest, Benaniah the son of Jordiah, Nathan, okay, Zeruah, Joab. I mean, these are important people within the kingdom. And he gets them on his side. He forms his coalition. Do I have time to keep you? Yeah, I've got just a few minutes. No, I don't have time. And so, one of the things that we got that we should, could take away from tonight is this: that God's word is sure. And we're going to see that next week. We begin to see how God moves this along. We'll also see how this violence. That God said the sword would never leave the house. Next week, we're going to see an example of that. But I got to stop right here because I just run out of time, and I, I promised that I would, you know, do a better job at hang at, at keeping to my thirty minutes. So, I'll, if you if you're taking notes now, all I want you to write on your note card is the king. The king is David, and just write David down there. Nothing else. Just write David down. Okay? And tonight, what we got a chance to see is how some folk want to usurp authority. And the authority that he thinks he's usurping is not David's. No, that authority doesn't go to David. That authority, the appointing and the anointing, comes from God. Second thing, you ain't raising your kids. You're doing them a disservice. David. Because of that, there's destruction on the way. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, as we go through this book, we see the first warning. And the warning is this. Life is not on this earth. It is not everlasting. Eventually we all come to an end. And as wonderful and as great as David was and 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 as oh as excellent as his ministry was to you, he was still flawed. God, but you are faithful. And you gave David a promise. And you keep your promise. Your promises are sure, O oh God. 
And we bless you for the promises that you've given us. The promise that you would never leave us nor forsake us. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit who would lead and guide us into all truth. Now tonight, Father, we've seen some of David's flaws. We see his son, Adonijah, getting ready to, getting puffed up and getting ready to to take the kingdom. Father, some of us have, have messed up like that. Some of us have messed up in raising our children. Some of us have stepped out of line and and lusted after things that you never anointed us to have. Tonight, Father, we, we ask that you would forgive us. Father, and then there's some of us that don't even know that we're out of order. And so we ask that you would expose us to us. We ask that if there's anything that we're doing, anything, in any way that we're out of line, we ask that you would just show us, that you would correct us, that you would lovingly discipline us. You would create the environment that we could receive life and then give us sense enough to hear your voice and to repent. Because, God, we know that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We know that, that it's your will that all of us would come to repentance. And so, Father, we ask that you would do that. Help us to walk upright before you, to live out our purpose in you. We thank you, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, okay, that's it for tonight. Now, I uh, want you next week to come prepared because we got to deal with a lot of stuff. Secondly, I want you to kind of share the Bible study with others so you know, they, they know that we're going through First Kings. There's a lot of folk out there that would love to participate in this study, but they just don't know what's happening. Share it with somebody. And next week, somebody remind me to tell everybody to push the share button. I always forget those kinds of things. But in any event, hey, you guys have a wonderful, wonderful evening, and we will meet you back here next week where we will pick up in Chapter 1 right where we left off. Bless you. Have a wonderful evening.